Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end. With Schnebly and Toff. I thought before we we started this episode, maybe we'd dip into the uh, the inbox a little bit and uh, what a great idea! Share some emails that we've received. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Hey there, I'm from Altoona, Pennsylvania, and I just listened to your episode about the quote awful night <laughs> that was at the Altoona Curves minor league baseball game. I don't care for baseball, but man, I wish I knew about that game. If I went, I would absolutely locate the person who won the guy's gallbladder and offer them money for it. Have you ever seen a gallbladder stone cut in half? It's like a beautiful <laughs> gem or rock. I collect oddities, and it was it's almost impossible to even get your wisdom teeth after getting them removed. Obviously, it's a, quote, hazard, but uh, they were mine, and I wanted them. Well, I think that's enough of me sounding ridiculously creepy, but I love your new podcast and the Box of Oddities. Thank you for the obscure information and the research that you do. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, that comes from Shannon, and uh, if I come across a gallstone, I will let you know. Uh, Shannon. Shannon, I think it really has to do with who takes your wisdom teeth out. I would agree with that. Yeah. Right. So just keep that in mind for next time. Yeah, if some kind of a black market dentistry option. Take advantage of that. Right, or a used car lot. <clears throat> I worked at Disney with a guy named uh, Al who had a uh, had his appendix removed and asked the surgeon if he could keep it. <laughs> and uh surgeon said, sure, I guess. And so he gave it to him after the surgery and Al kept it in a, uh, in a like a mayonnaise jar in his refrigerator in the back of his refrigerator for years oh my god and then one day goes on vacation and his mom is house sitting for him and comes back and a few hours later for whatever reason is like fishing for a beer or something in the refrigerator and says hey mom there was a jar in the back and she said yeah I don't know what that was but I threw it out it looked like it had gone bad a long time ago <laughs> well yeah and he was despondent that his mom had thrown away his appendix. Oh, that's so sad. That reminds yeah. me of a, a story that we did on Box of Oddities about a guy who was in a motorcycle accident and he had to have his foot amputated. So he talked them into, filled out the proper forms, and he talked them into giving him his severed foot that he took home and he made tacos 
I remember that story. And had his friends over to eat. That was one of the more, shall we say, challenging stories to listen to. (laughs) Yeah. Over breakfast. Yeah, sure. We had another email from a gentleman who calls himself Mr. Mac. He says, after listening to the episode this morning, my curiosity was piqued partially because I used to cater to private jets and learned a lot that way, and partially because I have a friend I've known since he was a miserable, drunken server at a shithole diner. He's now a miserable, drunken pilot that's licensed to fly the largest planes in the world. Oh, my God. I'm attaching part of the text conversation I had with him. It doesn't include the part where I ended up naming your podcast, just because I thought you'd enjoy some perspective about the elusive 410 Club, how insanely high pilots go, and their opinion of the two who crashed. Also, calling back to one of your earliest episodes, I'm wondering if you have read about the Erfurt latrine disaster. And I remember you guys actually did did that story about the 60 nobles drowning in excrement. Yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He says, thanks for all you do, especially when you convert the extremely logical measurements from that convoluted metric crap. As soon as the water can tell me how it feels, I'll use Celsius. <laughs> So he sends the text that he had with his buddy. He says, hey, I'm listening to a podcast talk about the guys who crashed after trying to join the 410 Club. I got to ask, have you flown that high? His friend says, I've been to 490, meaning 49,000 feet. Private jets fly higher than airliners, as he said. Guy goes on to say, my Citation X was certified to 510, but I never got there. Talked to a crew that did, climbed, took a pick, and immediately went back down. Our friend Mr. Max says to his friend, fucking hell, that's too high. I knew the private jets flew higher, just didn't realize it was that much higher. His friend says, good place to be above the weather. Mr. Max says the story they were talking about was the guys taking a CRJ 200 to 410, which is its max rating. Then they tried to fight the autopilot, didn't inform the tower they were both lost. They had lost both engines and yep, didn't end well. His friend says, yeah, I know that story. Poor dumb bastards. And Mr. Max says, yeah, this podcast is pretty much all about poor dumb bastards. So that's fitting. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com if you'd like to correspond with us. And uh, speaking of poor dumb bastards, here we go. Michael Anderson Godwin. He was a violent man. He was also known as Michael Anderson Sloan. Uh, He robbed a woman at knife point in 1977. Rude. He He was arrested and he was sentenced to prison several years. Now, by all accounts, the next three years that he spent in the Central Correctional Institute in South Carolina was pre, he was pretty well behaved. He was a good prisoner. He started to earn the trust of the prison guards. And while he was in, he actually obtained two different college degrees. It appears as though he was a model prisoner and perhaps a changed man. So for these reasons, Godwin earned a spot in the work release program at the prison. Prisoners like this are are referred to as trustees, and a work release program allowed them to go outside the prison walls and do work in the community, like picking up trash along the highways or painting bridges, as an example. Mm -hmm. So in 1980, while out for the day on his work release program, Godwin committed an even more heinous crime. Uh-oh. than the one he was already doing time for. Oh, boy. So while he was out picking up trash, he managed to somehow find the time to sexually molest and murder a 24-year-old woman by the name of Mary Royam. So she was sexually assaulted, and then he beat her to death with an electric iron <sighs> in her West Columbia, South Carolina apartment. 
1981, he went on trial for Royam's murder and for the sexual assault. He was found guilty and sentenced to die in South Carolina's electric chair. Mm -hmm. So he sat there on death row for a couple of years. That's pretty much how things stayed. But during the appeals process, his attorney was able to get him cleared of the sexual assault charges on a technicality. And because of that, even though he was still convicted of murdering this woman, Godwin's death sentence was downgraded to life in prison. Hmm. But due to the heinous way that he bludgeoned Miss Royam to death with an electric iron, many people were outraged that his appointment with the electric chair had been canceled and that now he would just be living out the rest of his life on the taxpayer's dime. I get that. One night, during a routine cell check, prison guards found Godwin dead in his cell. Oh. Really? State Corrections spokesman Francis Archibald told the Orlando Sentinel, quote, it was a very strange accident. Godwin was dead. He appeared to have been severely burned, but only around his mouth and his gums, and his teeth were badly damaged as well. At first glance, what they uh, were seeing made very little sense to anyone there, but very quickly they were able to discover what happened to Godwin. So you say his name was Godwin? Yes. After getting his death sentence and date with the electric chair commuted to just life in prison, Godwin had settled in to his daily routine, trying to make his cell as comfortable as possible. Now, apparently he was allowed to have a TV in his cell. But the only way he was allowed to watch TV later in the evening was through a pair of headphones. And he did have a pair of headphones, but they started malfunctioning. Now, all of us here on this podcast have broadcast experience. And we all know how irritating it is when you're wearing headphones and one channel starts to break up or cut out. Mm. Apparently, Godwin felt that way too. So he decided he would try to fix his headphones. And the first thing he needed to do was to strip the wires of the headphones, but he didn't have any wire strippers or tools of any kind, of course. He's in prison, so he resorted to using his teeth. He bit into the headphone wire while the headphones were plugged into the TV, while the TV was plugged into an outlet, and oh, did I mention he was sitting on his metal toilet in his cell at the time. There we go. There we go. The guy who dodged a date with the electric chair on a technicality ended up electrocuting himself on a metal prison toilet. (laughs) Now, many people appreciated this strange irony as a wonderful example of instant karma, but others started to question the story of his electrocution. The argument was that uh, the headphone wire would be too thin to carry the voltage needed to electrocute a grown man, and that perhaps there was some kind of a Jeffrey Epstein kind of thing happening uh, here. Foul play? Perhaps there were some who were disgruntled that this guy who brutally murdered a young woman with an electric iron had his death sentence commuted, and that perhaps there was some sort of vigilante operation that had been initiated. On the Mm -hmm. surface, it seems like a legitimate concern, It does seem pretty strange. However, statistics from the U.S. National Library of Medicine state that the human body is naturally resistant to the flow of electricity, but 100% of this resistance is only effective at the skin level. As an example, dry, calloused skin is much more resistant 
to electrical shock than the wet, salty tissue below the skin surface. That's illustrated when you hear stories about uh, a lightning strike, somebody getting hit by lightning, and it would leave only skin-deep burns, and just a small current of electricity will enter the body. You'll see the burns spread out all over uh, a person who's been hit by lightning in many cases. Makes sense. But that small surge, if it goes through the heart, that's what causes the fatal electric shock. So essentially, what they're saying is the seriousness of the shock itself has less to do with the power of the surge and more to do with how the electric current enters the body. And that this would explain why when he was handling the bare wire with his bare hands, nothing happened. But when he put it in his mouth to bite down on it, It was an open invitation for the electricity to use his body as a conductor between the wire and the metal toilet. It's a fact when electricity surges through the body in this manner, it causes interference with the body's natural electric signals, which can result in brain damage. Other times, ventricular fibrillation can occur, and that's potentially fatal as well. So even though on the surface it looked like kind of an unlikely accident and that something maybe more sinister was at foot, It turns out it was just a very unlikely accident. Sentenced to die on the electric chair, but having his sentence commuted to life on a technicality only to electrocute himself on a metal toilet in a jail cell. Oh, the delicious irony there. (laughs) My information comes from the Vintage News Thought Catalog, the Los Angeles Times, the Miami New Times, and the Orlando Sentinel on a metal toilet in your prison cell. I'm struck by the fact that he doesn't have any tools, but he does have a TV and a set of headphones. Yeah, I know. And and he was uh, convicted of murder. It seems like he was more comfortable than probably he should have been. Well, it seemed to work out. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how those things do seem to work out. (laughs) The arc of justice is long, but true. You're in the shallow end with Schnebley and Toth. Did you know more children are injured eating breakfast cereal than any other type of injury in America? Well, we don't know if that's true either, but we don't care. We're Doolittle and Billum, the only personal injury law firm that specializes in breakfast cereal injuries for people under 10 years of age. Little Hannah of St. Paul, Minnesota was eating a bowl of cereal before school two years ago. She seriously scraped the roof of her mouth with just one bite of her favorite brand. The injury was so severe, she was three minutes late to school, but we got Hannah and her family $12 million. Meet Tanner, a nine-year-old from Long Beach, California. One day after school, he was enjoying TV while feasting on a bowl of cereal. He laughed at a funny TV commercial and nearly choked to death because of it. That cereal company didn't find it very funny when we got his family $9 million due to poorly shaped pieces of cereal. Life is dangerous enough. Don't let your son or daughter get hurt by unscrupulous cereal companies who care more about profits than your child's well be do little and bill them find us on the web under super creepy aggressive law firms specializing in breakfast cereal injuries do little and bill them in business since 2022 Doolittle and Billum cannot guarantee your case's outcome. Past verdicts are not a guarantee of individual outcome. Doolittle and Billum is not licensed to practice law in states that end in vowels or any state where ethics are important. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. 
To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. We're promoting your self-esteem through other people's stupidity. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. Well, that was delightful. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. And looking forward to see what uh, you have for us, Lindsay. My story does not involve prison in any kind. What about metal toilets? Does it involve metal Mm, toilets? Checking, checking, no. I'm out of here then. No. All right. Well, cat, stay and be entertained. (laughs) Okay. Screw you, Jethro. Uh, No, I'm going to stay. Just on the outside chance you find a way to work a metal toilet into your story. (laughs) I might have to now, just on a personal challenge. (laughs) Okay, good. Go. July 2nd, 1982, Delta and TWA airline pilots are beginning their descent into Los Angeles International Airport, and they radio in with a possible UFO sighting. Now, keep in mind, it's broad daylight, but they claim to a mystified air traffic control tower that... This UFO appears to be a guy (laughs) seated in an aluminum lawn chair holding a pistol and cruising along at roughly 16,000 feet. What? They they reported that because that's exactly what it was. (laughs) Oh, is this the guy who tied the balloons to his lawn chair? Yes, Jethro. Yes, it is. Okay, yeah, I vaguely remember this story. Yeah, yeah. They were absolutely correct. That UFO was a 33-year-old guy named Larry Walters who was fulfilling a childhood dream, but not in the way that that you might imagine. When he went up into the clouds and heard... (laughs) the engines of planes and he couldn't see them (laughs) so he knows okay they can't see me that means i can't see them and he thinks 
Oh my goodness, this 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 isn't good. Yeah. So let's back up. Thirty-three-year-old Larry is a resident of North Hollywood, and he's just an average guy. He's he's a truck driver, drives a truck for a television commercial production company, and was engaged at the time to a woman named Carol Van Dusen, and she lived down in San Pedro, that's uh, in the South Bay of Los Angeles County. He had gotten a, a lawn chair from Sears Roebuck <laughs> that he found, quote, exceptionally comfortable, close quote, <laughs> for relaxing. And he loved to sit in, in his girlfriend's, his fiance's backyard in San Pedro and watch jets fly into LAX on warm summer nights. A columnist for the Miami News would later say, he's the guy you barely knew down the block washing his car on a dull Sunday afternoon. The guy you sit next to on the bus all the frustrateds, all the regimented, all the conformists, just a regular guy. But Larry had claimed that since he was 13 years old in the early 1960s, he had dreamed about taking a balloon into the big blue sky. It was just something that hit him, and he had a fascination for it all these years. Now, in 1967, Larry joined the Air Force and thought, I'm going to be a pilot. This is going to be a combination of serving my country and my dream of flight. But unfortunately, and he didn't know this till he applied to the air school, that he didn't have eyesight good enough for piloting. So the next best thing for a nearly blind pilot is to go up in a lawn chair from Sears Roebuck. Right. So he serves his time in the military, back in the States, becomes a truck driver. But in March of 1982... He started buying equipment because he had come up with this idea. I'm going to tie helium balloons to my Sears Roebuck <laughs> lawn chair, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up into the wild blue yonder. And so he does that. He starts buying weather balloons. He, he ended up buying 42 weather balloons, and he tells them that it's 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 for this production company that for which he's a truck driver these are these are going to be used as props he buys helium tanks he buys a parachute <laughs> he buys a bb gun he gets water jugs an altimeter to tell him how high he was going to be uh-huh. and even a cb radio cuz keep in mind this is 1982 breaker breaker so he starts he starts planning this for days and days and weeks and weeks and months and he's he's keeping journals, he's keeping notes, but in his in his zealous attempt to get into the sky, he didn't realize just how much helium he would actually need to get him up over the housetops. Now his plan had been to go only about thirty feet <laughs> above the backyards. Okay. So that's that's ten yards. Right? So sure. that's barely going to clear rooftops. Now, but back up just a second. The BB gun, yeah. was that for his descent? Was he Correct. He's going to shoot out balloons with a BB gun. Exactly. One at a time, a nice slow <laughs> controlled descent. Uh-huh. Yeah. But he thought, I'm going to fly way out over the Mojave Desert, which is, you know, northeast of Los Angeles. And after I've done this for a few hours, I'm just going to pop some balloons, slowly drift back down talk to his girlfriend, his fiance on the CB radio and say, hey, I'm at this, you know, mile marker. Come, come pick me up. So Thursday, 
July 1st, Larry drives down to Carol's home in San Pedro and inflates all 42 <laughs> balloons with helium. Oh, my God. And he... He's he's smart enough. He arranges them in six different tiers of height oh. and attaches them with these nylon cables. Now, these these top balloons actually go almost 180 feet in the air. Think wow. about that. 180 feet. That's 60 yards high. Wow. So that morning, Larry puts on his parachute, <laughs> straps himself into his Sears Roebuck chair, which he has named Inspiration One. <laughs> he's, he's tied these cables to his Jeep, to the bumper of his Jeep in his fiance's driveway. He's got his CB radio. He's got his altimeter. He's got a camera because he thinks once I get up there, I want to take photos of what it's like. Mm. He brings a sandwich and a two-liter bottle of Coca-Cola uh-huh. and after a hearty farewell says to his fiance Carol, release the wire. Well, here's where things start to go wrong. Mm. The wire is he's actually tied in three places to the bumper of the Jeep. But once Carol cuts that first wire, these 42 balloons each of which have 33 cubic feet of helium in them, takes off like a rocket. Oh, my God. Just boom. Did it drag the Jeep skyward? No. Unfortunately, it just severed the two remaining cables. Oh, my God. And (laughs) he's now going up so fast, he's being catapulted. (laughs) His glasses are yanked off his face by by the... (laughs) The sheer shock of skyrocketing up. It's like the inverted bungee jump. Exactly like that. And it's not long before he's actually three miles <gasps> off the ground. Holy. So Carol, his fiance, is talking to him on the CB and she says, you're going to be directly over us in a few, in about a minute or two. So look down and you can see us. Over. He says, okay, I'll be looking for you. And she says, well, we can already see your balloons, but maybe when you get overhead, you're going to go into into some blue stuff. Can, can you see us now? Can you see us? Over. And he says, well, I'm almost 6,000 feet over. I, I can't see much of anything except <laughs> a lot of houses. Over. <laughs> so Carol's trying to get him to come back down to earth because she and the people around standing gobsmacked (laughs) drop jawed staring up at these balloons which are getting smaller and smaller in the big blue sky they're starting to think maybe this wasn't such a good idea Mm. what if he actually falls out of this out of this chair is he not strapped in he's strapped in but he's realizing as he's climbing higher and higher and higher so fast that this is not what I bargained no, for. No, no. So he's clenching the armrests of the chair. <laughs> Cold, anxious. He's got his Coke. He's got his, his sandwich. <laughs> and he does this for about an hour. Now, he, he radios on the friends to let them know he's okay, but he's looking at a thermometer that he had brought with him, and it says the air temperature at that altitude is only five degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh. Ooh. So that's that's 
20, what, 28, 29 degrees below freezing. So his feet and his hands now are starting <laughs> to grow numb. And he realizes he's not drifting east toward the Mojave Desert. He's actually headed west toward the ocean. But this is where he starts to hear these airplanes because he's now headed toward LAX. The bright spot on this uh, is that at least his Coke was frosty cold. <laughs> That's true. And his sandwich was perfectly preserved. Silver lining kind of people. That's it. You're for me. So he realizes, okay, Houston, we have a problem. And he radios on his, his CB to an outfit called REACT, which stands for Radio Emergency Associated Communication Team. They're in Corona, California. And they are aware that this guy breaks into their channel with a mayday. He says, hey, uh, I'm 16,000 feet in the air and my hands and feet are going numb. And the CB, the, the react guy says, well, what information do you want me to tell air traffic control as to your location and difficulty? And Larry says, well, it's an unauthorized balloon launch. I know I'm in a federal airspace Uh, My ground crew already called the police, but just tell everyone I'm okay. CB guy says, what color is the balloon? Larry says, well, the balloons are beige, but it's a bright blue sky. It should be very visible over. And they say balloon size. And he says, approximately seven feet in diameter each. (laughs) I've got about 35 of them left. Has he been shooting them out? He has tried shooting them and... It's, it's not working. Oh, He's no. not dropping. Oh, no. So they say, well, you're, are you saying you have a cluster of 35 balloons? And he says, uh, 35 weather balloons, not a single balloon, 35 weather balloons. And they say, roger that, stand by. Now, he actually still had 42. He hadn't shot any of them out. Oh. But... He is well aware that he is in the approach corridor of LAX, and he's smart enough to know all it takes is a jet coming in, and I'm, I'm done. Yeah. So he gets his BB gun up, he fires, one balloon pops, two balloon pops, nothing happens. Now he's starting to panic. He shoots out seven balloons, and now he, <laughs> he drops his BB gun. <gasps> But not the sandwich, though. No, he okay, still had the sandwich good, in the cup. Good. So fortunately, in shooting those balloons, his plan works, and he starts to do a rapid descent. And he says, I cannot say I was afraid or anything. The part that was scary was the last 300 feet <laughs> with the rooftops and the telephone poles coming up so fast, I was praying I wouldn't hit a power line and be fried or sizzled. So now the police have gotten a 911 call from his ground crew and they realize what's going on. They can actually see him and they see where he's headed. And sure enough, there are power lines all throughout this neighborhood. So the police call the power company and say, you got to cut the power to this neighborhood. So they do. So this whole neighborhood now is without power for like 20 minutes as Larry is coming in for a crash landing into somebody's backyard. He's flown 21 miles, and now he's only five feet off the ground. Sure enough, he lands in a power line, and the the balloons slowly sink. He's now just five feet off the ground. 
he's able to jump out of his his <laughs> Sears and Robux Inspiration One lawn chair <laughs> and says to a crowd that's gathered around, they say, are you okay? And he says, by the grace of God, I fulfilled my dream, but I wouldn't do it again forever. <laughs> that's a real Neil Armstrong moment there. Isn't it? So the LAPD are there to arrest him because he's obviously caused a lot of mayhem. Right. He gets put in a squad car in handcuffs. <laughs> he gets put in a squad car in handcuffs and a reporter puts a microphone in his face in the back of the squad car and says, why'd you do it? And he says very casually, well, a man can't just sit around. <laughs> I love this guy. He says he has only two regrets. One, that he gave away that lawn chair. <laughs> To, a, to one of the kids in the neighborhood because the Smithsonian actually contacted him later and said they wanted to put it on display. Wow, no kidding. <laughs> and he was also so stunned by this whole thing that he forgot to take a single photo no! <laughs> with that camera. He, um, he did end up getting the lawn chair back and the, uh, the Smithsonian did put it on display. Now, the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, you know, they're not known as, as funny, jokey guys, <laughs> and they are not at all amused. They say, we know he broke some part of the Federal Aviation Act, and as soon as we decide which part it is, we're going to charge him. <laughs> if he had a pilot's license, we'd suspend that, but he doesn't, so he can't take away his license. And they ended up fining this guy $4,000 for operating a civil aircraft for which there is not currently an airworthiness certificate. <laughs> And also interfering with airport traffic no kidding. without establishing communications with a control tower. He ends up talking the fine down to $1,500. He does become a little bit of a celebrity. Sure. He's covered on NBC Nightly News. He goes on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He goes on uh, Late Night with Letterman. Got to fly to New York, be on Letterman's show. Did he go on a plane? <laughs> <laughs> he did, ironically. Okay. And actually, in 1991... He did a magazine ad for Timex watches, and they saw him as sort of a, you know, a local hero. So he got just enough attention that he was pretty much able to pay for the the roughly $4,000 in expenses that he uh, incurred in putting this whole thing together. Wow. Wow. That's quite a quite an adventure. Yeah. It yeah. seemed like he, he did spend a lot of time thinking about this. He seemed yeah. well prepared. He had an altimeter. He had a thermometer. He had uh, a CB radio. CB radio and a sandwich. Did he end up um, spending any time in jail? No. No. I, you know what? I take that back. I believe he did something like 48 hours in jail okay. and then was released. I see. Did he have any um, trouble with the metal jail cell toilet? <laughs> Not to our knowledge. Okay. No, that's good to know. Not to our knowledge. Good yeah, to know. Yeah. But uh, he's a man who uh, who lived his dream. And, you know, it's it's interesting because a, several other people have, have tried this with varying degrees of success. Uh, some have actually not survived mm. the process. Right. So it's uh, it's a very, very simple idea. But again, kids listening at home, <laughs> weather balloons are best left in the air and lawn chairs from Sears or anywhere else are best left on the ground. If I was Sears at the time, I would have absolutely hired that guy 
as a spokesperson for my lawn furniture. Absolutely. If if you think this chair is comfortable at 16,000 feet, imagine <laughs> when you try it out in your own backyard. Exactly. It writes itself. Something like That's that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Got this from Check 6, Wikipedia, The New York Times, and Medium.com. Great stuff. What a great story. The Shallow End Podcast. Shallowendpodcast.com is where you can, you can find us on the onlineness, as one of Katz and my former boss used to refer to the internet as, quite seriously. Onlineness? Yeah. The onlineness. Yeah. We, we were talking about some kind of a promotion that we were going to do at the radio station, and uh, it involved the website, and his response was, I'll need to check the onlineness. Yeah. He wasn't kidding? No. 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 He also said at one point he didn't get me. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know. What did he mean by that? No. Like he didn't he didn't get your sense of humor? Yeah, he just didn't get me. Yeah. He was he was kind of a What's the uh, Dick? Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's nothing worse than a dickhead program director in radio. <laughs> yep, that's right. We'd love to hear from you if you want to write to us lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com and uh, as the podcast continues to grow we continue to appreciate your support more and more in other words <clears throat> our love comes with strings attached that's a very good way to put it and those it, strings are attached to weather balloons sometimes <laughs> sometimes they're also attached to five star reviews <laughs> uh, glowing comments and next time your friend at work or school or church or wherever says I've been looking for a new podcast. You can say, you know, hmm. I just happen to have the perfect new podcast for you. It's called The Shallow End. At the very least, you'll feel better about yourself. And isn't that what really matters? We'll see you next time. Make good choices. Because, honest to God, your life, well, it might just depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. All content copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine, and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask, just trust us. Okay, gotta go. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Cheers!